Now, I'm gonna give you the back of the beer coaster tip to choosing a great apartment. I'm gonna give you seven tips which you really need to do if you're going to choose an awesome apartment. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Tell you what, today we are going to embark on a journey. Do you want to come on a journey to save my mum economically? If so, you've come to the right episode. We're going to explore and understand apartments. And my mum is going to tune in and listen She's going to learn that good design equals great growth and apartments are actually a fundamental principle of building portfolios. Not everyone has the opportunity to buy 10 houses and live off the income and capital growth 10 houses could provide. As we build wealth, quite often we are subject to choosing a really good location and dumbing down our investments by choosing an apartment in a well-run scheme. Apartment purchasing is a bit of an art form, and today I want to share that art form so my beloved mum, Freeze, can get ahead in her life and make some money from cash flow, the great cash flow apartments offer. Now, if you're wondering why I call my mum Freeze, mum is constantly frozen. I have never met a woman that walks the earth in a doona, but my mum does. She actually wanders the house constantly frozen, hence the name Freeze. Freeze is constantly frozen and we want to unthaw Freeze to help her absolutely heat the house and have more money in her back pocket. Of course, many mums are frozen right now and stuck because Many people today cannot get a return out of the bank. The bank does not provide wealth anymore for people. And there is actually more money in the bank than there is actually outside the bank in leveraged products like real estate. So many people who are in their 70s or 80s, like my mum, are turning to the real estate marketplace. So my job is to go out and find my mum an awesome apartment. Why? Why an apartment? Well, quite often, apartments have a really good rental return. And rental returns are a cornerstone of not only retirement, but also a cornerstone of wealth building. When you've got really good yields, it's just easier to borrow money And when it's easier to borrow money, it's easier to build a property portfolio. Sometimes the best growing assets like really awesome houses have very low yields. In other words, they just don't rent for uh, the, the proportionate value that they cost to own. Not to say they aren't great assets, but of course we are in the business of building wealth and quite often that means We're going to look at the apartment section. Now, for me, I've been building wealth around apartments for quite a long time. I understand that I need a balance of both great houses and apartments to get where I need to go. 
And when I want to retire from income, it's those apartments in key locations paying $1,000 a week in rent, which is what I am going to retire on when I go full passive. I'm currently semi-passive retired from income. I will go full passive at one point and light the fuse on apartments in key locations getting high rental returns. And when I say high, I'm talking seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a week in rent or fifty thousand dollars a year in income. So understanding apartments is so important. And I've been out looking for apartments for my mum, something a little bit less expensive in the three hundred thousand dollar range. And I'm flabbergasted with what is available. Good design equals great growth. So when we're actually choosing a floor plan, what are we looking for when it comes to getting growth and getting rental growth? How do we choose one apartment over the next? Now, if you've never heard my podcast on the secret language of real estate, I would go back and listen to that. Also, recently I did a podcast on buying brand new property pre-construction. I would have a listen to that as well because both of those podcasts do give overall insights into what makes good design, what makes a great complex, but now we want to drill down into what actually makes an awesome apartment. Remember, I'm under pressure to unthaw freeze. We've got to put the heat back into my mum and get her out and about again spending money in society. She's got her money in the bank. It's not working. The real estate market can save her and her wealth by providing an awesome apartment with a great rental return. And here in Australia, there are some really good rental returns within the apartment section if you know where to shop you can end up with a net return of 4 5 or 6% from the right apartment negotiated at the right price. Net return after your cost to run the property. Remember, a net return of 5% compared to what you're getting in the bank right now is chalk and cheese. I mean, a fixed-term deposit is paying anywhere from 05 to 0.8% at the moment. So a 5% net return, particularly for self-funded retirees, is a big amount of money. So we shouldn't underestimate that as we go through being a property investor, we will be looking at apartments. So how do I approach looking at apartments? And I don't want to get into the conversation around researching strata reports, uh, choosing a strata scheme to invest in, being involved in choosing the right off-the-plan property, you can go back and listen to past episodes if you want some information around that. What I am talking about today is analysing the layout and some of the design features that I would be looking for for the right property. Now, the first lesson to understand when we do go shopping in the apartment space, is typically a town plan will have a minimum apartment size for construction. For a two-bedroom, that could be 65 square metres. For a one-bedroom, that could be 45 square metres. For a three-bedroom, that could be 95 square metres. 
automatically when I'm searching, I'm trying to better the size limit of the town plan. So if the town plan alludes to a 65 square metre two bedroom being the norm, and most of the market is prepared to buy a 65 square metre two bedroom as the norm, I want to be looking for an 85 square metre two bedroom or even a 100 square metre two bedroom because I know that that is now undersupplied. If government is telling us that we should be now buying 65 square metre two bedrooms, I know the undersupplied part of the marketplace is above that. So instantly when I'm looking, I'm looking over and above the minimum size, the minimum lot size or the minimum square metre size for an apartment. Also, when I'm looking, I'm actually looking at what the apartment's floor plan looks like from a frontage point of view. I'm obsessed with frontages. I think frontages add so much value to real estate. If your frontage of your apartment is wide, it's going to be worth more. And I tell you what, there are some big wide apartments out that are a pretty good price. They can be as wide as, say, 14 metres in the investment section of the price point pool. 14 metres is almost 50% greater than the average house size. An average house is maybe 10 metres wide. All of a sudden, at 14 metres wide, we've got a really wide berth. Now, not all apartments can have a huge frontage, but it is so important that the frontage be functional. Things like lots of natural light, uh, maybe an orientation, maybe a great view from the front of the apartment is something that I personally look for. And when you find it, you're finding a really good property. The other thing that we need to look for when we're looking at a apartment is floor plans. Now, I was talking to a client I'm helping buying uh, at the moment, and I'm doing a bit of buyer's advocacy work, helping this client sort of find something in their price range. And because I'm going very slow and methodical at it, my client is starting to send me properties going, what about this one? Recently, he sent me one where literally you could not fit a lounge room uh, table, a, uh, 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 a little uh, table in front of the sofa. Because to walk into the apartment, you had to walk through where the table would normally be. In other words, a dysfunctional property where literally you could sit on the sofa but you can't put a drink down now, when people rent that property, instantly they see a dysfunction. When you go to buy that property, you would have to price in the dysfunction of the property. In real estate, we call the space in between things circulation space. Circulation space just simply means the ability to walk around things and circulate. Obviously, the entry point, does that have wasted space or is it instantly usable? 
A lot of apartments have a lot of wasted space. They'll have hallways that do nothing. Circulation space is critical to the value of an apartment. When you walk in, can you use something instantly? That could be a laundry. That could be shelving. That could be storage. Does your kitchen have good circulation space? Can you use both sides of the kitchen? Or is it a one-sided kitchen? I can tell you I run a rental department and not many people want to rent a one-sided kitchen. They will, but they'll do it for a cheaper price than, for example, great circulation space on a two-sided kitchen. Then you've got living and dining. You need to be able to fit a table, a sofa, a second chair, a dining uh, a a coffee table, when you can't do that plus a television, you don't have great circulation space. Again, circulation space is about adaptive and functional designs. Today, for a property to be considered a town-planned approved bedroom, it needs natural light. It needs light coming into the building and also the apartment through the bedroom windows. Quite often in past town planning schemes, bedrooms were built with no natural light, set back from the front of the apartment. Today, that's a bit of a no-no. And quite often when I look at old stock built in a bygone era, it doesn't carry today's functionality where, for example, in a two-bedroom, you might have both bedrooms getting natural light into the property. Circulation space is so important to an apartment. Remember, circulation space has so many benefits to when an apartment functions. When people walk into an apartment and they can move about, instantly they see value, they want to rent it, They'll pay you a great return and they will also buy it off you the day you want to sell. Now, I'm a big believer in light coming into properties, whether they're houses, apartments or townhouses. What we want as best practice is 90% of light hitting both bedrooms and living rooms. When your living room is lit up, when your dining room is lit up, and when your bedrooms have natural light, your property is going to perform. When your property is perhaps a gun barrel asset, in other words, it runs deep, natural light cannot filter through the property. And so quite often, given the way... uh, winter and summer and spring and autumn unfold, we see the light change. The more of your real estate, which is uh, part of the light section of design, the better. And that means more properties at the front of the, sorry, more of the best assets of the apartment at the front of the apartment. Living room, dining room, bedrooms. 
doesn't really matter if your bathroom doesn't get natural light. Doesn't really matter if your kitchen is set back on a smaller apartment from the front. You want the natural light where people spend most time, and most time that is living room, dining room, bedroom. Now, again, with the idea of the first place, second place, third place, the big thing with apartments is you want a good second and third place. What I mean by that is quite often as a renter or as an owner-occupier, you've got to live in an apartment, you're living in a box. If you've got a nice box, that's great. But you do rely on your second place. Now, your second place for an apartment is typically your balcony. When I look at apartments, I like to know the minimum size requirements for a balcony. In many parts of, for example, Melbourne, it's eight square meters. So what if I'm buying 30 square meters of balcony? All of a sudden, again, my property is unique or 15 square metres of balcony, or even 12 square metres of balcony, I all of a sudden have something better than the market average, the market benchmark. Now, the first place is the apartment, the townhouse, or the house inside it. Very important part. We want really functional design, lots of circulation flow. The balcony is our second place. But also some complexes have great second places. They have things like rooftop gardens. They have private libraries. They have private dining rooms. These are all awesome second places to go to that add a lot of value to choosing an apartment. Then there is the third place. The third place is something which is walkable from the apartment. This is really something that you need to consider if you're an apartment buyer. How close is the beach? How close is the park? Can you walk to the coffee shop? Is there a walkable restaurant nearby? Because generally people love apartments because they want to live minimally. If people want to live minimally, they actually want the... Uh, outside area of the apartment to provide entertainment. That's the purpose of choosing an awesome apartment. If you're buying an apartment because it's cheap and cheerful in an area which has no economic prospects around the community evolving or gentrification, you probably shouldn't buy an apartment. You only buy an apartment if the neighbourhood is something that is going to add value to the apartment, if the street is going to add value to the apartment. Perhaps there's a park that you can walk by to. Perhaps there's a coffee shop right next door. All these things are your third place. Remember, we're looking for a great first place. We're looking for a great second place. But to be really successful as a property investor with apartments, you need a third place. What that really does mean is that third place provides so much amenity. 
you can own a two-bedroom apartment, two-bathroom, and a park next door, which is your backyard. How valuable does that now add? How much value does that now add to the asset? You've got a backyard to go and throw the frisbee. You've got a backyard. You can go and have a game of cricket. You can walk the dog. Now, again, balconies are kind of an amazing thing for apartments. But sometimes balconies are a bit of a curse, depending on which way the wind predominantly blows from. Now, I live down near Manly Beach, and there are some great apartments on Manly Beach. Great apartments. They set back just a little bit back from the beach, But one of the things that really annoys people about owning those apartments is the direction the wind blows. In Sydney, we get a lot of easterly trade winds. And because we get easterly trade winds, owning a property like due east quite often means the balcony is a little bit unusable at times. And most days, it's blowing a bit of a gale in the afternoon. So you're really limited to using that balcony in the morning. It's a very interesting concept. Quite often with buying real estate, we think about the orientation. East is a pretty good orientation. But for a balcony, it actually can be a bit of a curse in Sydney. Whereas if you look at Manly Beach, if you've ever been to Manly Beach and you walk to Shelley Beach, you'll find many of those apartments are kind of like northeast facing and all of a sudden the profile of the balcony just improved, less wind. You know, Melbourne predominant wind comes from the northwest, Brisbane from the south and east. But interestingly, in Brisbane, it's so hot, a warm, nice wind is actually a relieving kind of concept. So we need to understand when we're choosing a balcony, we need to understand which way the wind blows and if that's an asset or a little bit of a hindrance. Are we in a warm client or a temperate climate? Now, orientation is also pretty important. I'm a big believer if you're going to buy a, an apartment, you need to understand what north, south, east and west does to your property. And also, if the orientation you get provides a bit of a vista. I think one of the best, best things about apartment ownership is you can buy yourself quite often a view, a small view overlooking perhaps uh, other houses or looking off into the district or maybe even a city view or a park view. Some of the best properties that are apartments are view-orientated properties. But just understand that, you know, if you're buying a south-facing apartment in Melbourne, the trade-off with that is it's going to be a little bit cold. But the wind predominantly blows from the north Uh, north um, uh, west so you're probably going to be able to use your apartment a bit more there are trade-offs and it's just about understanding the benefits and the pros and cons to each now one of the things that I always look for and I'm looking for for my mum is storage space 
Generally, the minimum amount of storage space is nine cubic meters in an apartment. And quite often that is, um, for example, uh, put into the kitchen shelves and the laundry shelves and the bedroom built-in wardrobes or the sliding wardrobe doors. For an apartment, if you can beat nine cubic meters you're doing really really well and that's where quite often you know you might be able to negotiate a storage space or an extra space which you can uh, activate as an owner in a strata scheme recently a property which i own uh, an apartment in we in the strata got together and actually allocated extra storage space from land which was not being used in the complex. We simply added around 25 different storage cages and everyone was entitled to buy the storage cage. People bought it and it raised bucket loads of money for that strata scheme. So storage is important. People who are living in apartments have extra particulars and they want to make sure that they have a place to store them. Where do they put the golf clubs? Where do downsizers put their uh, uh, stuff they've collected for so long, right? These are the questions you've got to ask yourself. And just understanding the minimum size quite often is around nine square meters. So if you can get more cubic space, that's obviously a win. Now, airflow is a big part of the puzzle. Cross-flow ventilation in apartments is really important. Cross-flow ventilation comes with the idea that if an apartment has a few orientations, if it has the ability to breathe from front to back or side to side, it's just going to be a more comfortable place to live. And I can tell you, many people do not want to live with fabricated air. They don't want uh, air conditioning. They don't want to just have a ceiling fan. They want natural breezes flowing from, uh, obviously, the outside world. Some apartments, because of the orientation they face, you need to look at, does the, the property get cross-flow ventilation? Does the floor plan actually just create two orientations. In other words, it might not be expansive as an orientation, the second orientation, but it might just be a meter facing a different direction and that meter creates two airflows. When those airflow meet each other, all of a sudden the way the apartment feels to live in is just way more comfortable. Remember, I'm a big advocate of community space if it's done right your second area can add so much value to an apartment's desirability community space is really important if a property is just built as a box and it's got no breakout zones it's got nowhere for residents to go then quite often you've got an unappealing property that can be as simple as residence grass. I think some of the best properties ever created have actually a lawn in the apartment complex. 
just somewhere where you can go out and sit down and have a bit of a picnic and just be outside of your space. Community space is really something I look for when choosing an apartment. Now, one of the things older properties struggle with is a concept known as thermal performance. Because Australia is part of the globe and the globe is going through climate change, thermal performance of assets and real estate is going to be a big fighting ground into the future. I'm a big believer in investing in high thermal performance properties. Now, if you don't understand thermal performance, it's probably because you're not being impacted yet by it. But there is an argument in society that real estate will soon be sold based on its thermal performance capabilities. It's already kind of happening in Canberra. If you look at a property advertised in the Canberra property market, you're going to see a thermal performance ranking of the property. It's a five-star thermal performance, a six-star, a seven-star thermal performance property. And this is so crucial to the future of how properties will be advertised. See, many much older properties will simply never be able to get a thermal performance rating and really need to be rehabbed to get to a point where they can use a thermal performance score. Why are thermal performance so important? Well, for a start, we have climate change, which is the big one to solve. But what it really does is mean a, an apartment can be run more efficiently. When an apartment can be run more efficiently, it means the occupant living there has less costs. When the occupant has less costs, typically it means you can charge more rent because they are saving potentially up to $5,000 a year on energy costs, which you, as a property investor, can talk to them about recouping in the form of better rent, right? So when people aren't being agitated by high costs, they're prepared to pay more rent or they're prepared to pay more for the asset. Now, in Australia, we have a thing called the National House Energy Rating System or Rating Scheme. It's called NATAS. And NATAS is something that you'll probably hear a lot more about into the future. I won't get into the full detail of NATAS because I will do a show into the future on thermal performance and sustainability around real estate. But let's just say the minimum new standard for properties is a six-star rating. You can go as high as 10-star, but that would be incredibly amazing as a sustainable asset. Six-star is the minimum as a property investor. I am now looking for better than six-star as a thermal performance of real estate. Again, Thermal performance is things like double glazing. It's uh, the way the water is treated. It is solar in a complex. It is landscaping uh, that has, you know, reduces the urban heat island effect. It is green canopies over apartment complexes. 
So really important dynamic. And I think something that most property investors really don't kind of get. And because they don't get it, or it's not top of mind, they are potentially banking on a future problem. What if government says every property in Australia needs to be a seven-star thermal efficient property? It's going to mean your assets that you've bought that are old and creepy need a big upgrade to be part of the economic future. I'm a big believer in betting on the future, not betting on the past. Hence why when I'm looking for my mum, I'm trying to look for a thermal efficiency score of six or above. Now, what's so interesting is many lenders are jumping on the thermal bandwagon as well. They're looking if, for example, a complex or an apartment has a score of like six or seven stars or above, they'll actually give you a discount on your investment loan or your property loan. Remember today, to run a building efficiently, solar can do a lot of the work for many complexes and as a result it can mean that many apartments are cheaper to own and run think about what my mum is looking for my mum is looking for a cash flow return to live off a yield my mum doesn't want to be bogged down in high cost strata fees the best way to avoid high cost strata fees is to actually minimize them by having a building which has power coming into it from solar. And many of the buildings which have been produced over the last five or six years have great thermal scores around solar. And of course, this means reduce common property costs to run the asset. Now, again, when you have really efficient uh, design and really efficient building, you're just going to have a much better apartment to own. And of course, that means more cash flow in your back pocket. In real estate, there is a thing called the urban heat island effect. The urban heat island effect is real. It really does, uh, again, uh, mean that many properties today are in really horrible temperatures. And there was a recent study in Western Sydney and certain streets of Blacktown got up to over 50 degrees Celsius on a summer's day. To accommodate these type of problems, green buildings are something that I look for, something where there's treescapes or landscaping that affect the living conditions of people who live in the property. Again, I'm choosing an apartment for my mum. I want something with good thermal efficiency score, but I also want something which is very green in an awesome location because I know that's going to improve the living conditions of the occupants who live in the property. And when I'm examining the materials used on the property, whether it's past or present, I want to know that the properties have used really non-toxic, non-flammable external materials. And this is where we've recently seen you know, buildings in London catch on fire because they are built with the wrong toxic materials. 
I am looking for something which is going to be environmentally friendly. And of course, that is going to be worth more into the future in both rental value and capital value. Now, also, depending on where your property is, you want to make sure the glazing is really, really good. Sometimes living in an apartment is a little bit noisy. It's just the nature of the beast because it is a concept of urban density. And so we want to know what type of glazing is going to be available. And so when I'm talking to real estate agents, finding deals for my mom and other people, I'm very conscious that we want really good glazing, really good thermal score, really good green thinking, hot design, uh, which is one of the things which I think just adds so much functionality. Now, I'm going to give you the back of the beer coaster tip to choosing a great apartment. I'm going to give you seven tips which you really need to do if you're going to choose an awesome apartment. First one is architect and the pedigree of the development team behind the deal. Whether it's current, whether it's off the plan, or whether it was built 25 years ago, you want to know the caliber of the design team behind the product. If it's a good design team, you're probably going to find that the overall complex is really, really good. The second back of the beer coaster tip to choosing an apartment is the space and volume of the apartment. Now, this is where we have to look at things like ceiling heights. If, for example, you've got a 2.4 metre ceiling, the volume of that apartment is going to feel really claustrophobic. However, if you've got a, maybe a 2.7 or even a 3 metre ceiling, all of a sudden the space of that apartment is going to feel absolutely huge. So we want to analyse space. Yes, I don't mean the outer kind type, I mean volume. Volume. Volume is the new way to measure a size. It's not good enough to buy a 55 square metre one bedroom with a 2.4 metre ceiling. We want a 55 square metre one bedroom with a 2.7 metre ceiling. Again, the internal floor plan, how it flows, the frontage, the circulation space. These are all something that you need to look into when you're analysing an apartment. Light, how much natural light comes into the property? Does 90% of the light hit the bedrooms and living space? Ventilation, does it have cross-flow ventilation? Can the wind come into the apartment and create a cooling effect for the property? Remember, fixtures and fittings. This has a lot to do with behavioural and reflective design, which I've talked about in other podcasts. But the fixtures and fittings are really important. Are you going to have to replace the tapware, redo the shower? Are you going to be able to get 15 to 20 years out of the property without having to spend money on repairs and maintenance? Good fixtures and fittings allow you to do that. For me, choosing an apartment I love aspect. If you can get a really cool little quirky view, whether that's just a tree-lined view, uh, maybe a view um, above some houses to the district, or a pimping water or city view, 
One of the best advantages to owning an apartment is buying a view. In behavioral economics, a view is worth a lot of money. Remember the 4X growth plan. We want to buy a deal. We want a great location. We want a really good marketplace, a nice safe marketplace like a Sydney, like a Melbourne, like a Brisbane, like a Canberra. And then we uh, add a view to that kind of thing through behavioral economics. We're going to make money. Now, remember, outdoor space is important to a complex. That can be done by second or third place. The second place is the balcony. The second place is the rooftop amenity. The second place is the grass, the grassy knoll connected to the complex. And then we need the third space, amenity which is nearby. Where can we walk to from the apartment? How close are the shops? Remember, walkability is one of the big reasons why people want to live in an apartment. I'm flabbergasted today that sometimes I even get calls of people, can you lower the price of the apartment? We just don't need the car. Today, people share cars. Car share is really normal. So you can imagine all of a sudden the ability to walk to a third place is really what apartment living is about. The final thing you need is storage. And one of the benefits of buying parking, which I do explain to people, is parking does provide storage. You can put storage cages in your car space. You can put them above them. And even if the property doesn't come with enough storage to begin with, just think about how you can add storage to add value to the rental return of your asset. For me, I've got a job to find, freeze an apartment. We want to unthaw the old freeze and get it going again. So I tell you what, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. And mum, if you're listening, I love you lots. And we're going to find you a cracking deal. Don't you worry. You've raised a son that understands the real estate market and can crack some codes. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. I will catch you again around the traps as we crack more codes of property investment. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.